Welcome to episode 47 of the More Than Books podcast. I'm your host, Sierra Whitfield, and in the first half of this episode, I, along with my special guests, will be discussing the wildly popular phenomenon that is fan conventions, as well as discussing some top-secret information on the upcoming BruinCon. The second half will be a little sad, a little bittersweet. After 17 years with the Bellevue University Library, our very own Margie will be, sadly, retiring. Robin Bernstein, our library director, guest hosts as she conducts a special one-on-one interview with Margie about her work at the Bellevue University Library. So sit back and enjoy the rest of the show. Most people in this day and age are familiar with this phenomenon. There are as many names for it as there are events to attend. Yes, today we are going to be discussing fan conventions. Now, larger conventions such as Comic-Con, Worldcon, Anime Expo, OtakuCon are well known within the mainstream media. They're a great place for fans of popular and even niche media to meet and celebrate their favorite books, films, shows, games, and etc. I could go on. So, how did all of this begin, and what are its origins? The modern concept of the fan convention dates back to the late 1930s, with various gatherings of science fiction fans in the Northeast. These gatherings were small, attracting at most a few dozen attendees. In fact, the first science fiction fair was held at the 1939 World's Fair, which later evolved into the modern-day Worldcon. Compared to today, bigger conventions such as the San Diego Comic-Con can attract an upwards of 130,000 attendees. So, there is no denying the impact that conventions have had on our modern, popular culture. Joining us today, we have Jessica Omer, Senior Circulation Assistant and Allison Schaefer, Resource Sharing slash Circulation Specialist to discuss the phenomenon that is conventions. So without further ado, let us begin. So how did you initially learn about conventions? Well, I always kind of knew about like the big ones, so like San Diego Comic-Con and that kind of stuff. But my first real kind of, hey, we should go type moment was uh, one of my friends went to uh, Wizard Con in Chicago and was telling me about it. And I'm just like, that just sounds like a lot of fun. I need to do that. I think I found out about it uh, probably in the early days of the internet when I first was looking into all the fan stuff you can find online. And just the idea of a giant group of people into the same stuff that I was, was just the most awesome thing I had ever even thought of. <laughs> I, I kind of lost my mind when I found out there was a local one I could go to. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the typical convention experience. It kind of depends on which one you go to, because mm-hmm. the, the smaller ones, such as like NebraskaCon and Ocon and those, they're very, very different than, <laughs> say, like you're going to PlanetCon in Kansas City or one of the Wizard World Comic Cons in either like Des Moines or Chicago. Um, it's very much a, I guess I would call it a like camaraderie among, because you've got people there who are into the same stuff you are. No one's going to like shame you for liking something. Uh, you, you've got a little bit of everything. You've got movies, TV shows, books, cartoons, anime, and it's just everybody is there to express themselves and share the stuff they love. And it's kind of a, like just like a big group party. It is. The, the smaller ones, I think it's a little bit easier to interact with people. It's less crowded. There's more one-on-one space. Big ones, there's a lot more going on. There's so much more to see, but there's also, there's so many people. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think the biggest differences between the two is like when you look at say Nebraskan and say like Wizard World, mm-hmm. Nebraskan you get a lot of voice actors from cartoons and anime and that kind of stuff. Whereas Wizard World is pulling the the big name celebrities. Yes. So, for example, at Wizard World, I got to meet Patrick Stewart and uh, Brittany. My friend Brittany got me Nathan Fillion's autograph one time. Yes. But <laughs> there's a lot of photo and autograph opportunities. Mm-hmm. Whereas at NebraskaCon, a lot of the voice actors and stuff, you can still do that, but they're more likely to just like attend a panel and just shoot the breeze, or mm-hmm. it's a lot more casual. Yes. Um, and then the type of panels you get are very different too, yes. where is at the bigger ones you have the, it's the celebrities and they're doing panels about the stuff. If you ever go to one where like John Barrowman is, I always <laughs> suggest go to his panel. It is so much fun. That was great. Um, whereas at NebraskaCon, it's more people from the local geek communities are putting on the panels and it could be pretty much about anything you can imagine. Yeah, the bigger conventions, I think there's a lot more push for there being more room for merchandising space. You can buy more things, you can see more more fan art, more fan-produced things, more official merchandise. Um, that's a lot smaller space at something local like NebraskaCon, but they have a lot more panels, a lot more options for different things to go to to just learn about things, to interact with, and just be taught different things. So which conventions have you attended and what are some of your favorites? Like I said, I've been to NebraskaCon and we went to PlanetCon or PlanetCon in Kansas City this year. And then I've been to the Wizard World in both Des Moines and Chicago. Um, I've been to those and a couple years ago I went to Anime Expo, which is in LA and is unbelievably huge. There were so many people. There was a million things to see. There are a million costumes, but it was so crowded, especially in the artist alley. I could hardly see anything without being shoved in every single direction. <laughs> I think the most fun or the best part I've had with actually going to them is I do like the uh, celebrities and stuff, but I have more fun just wandering around on the merchandise floor, mm. vendor floor all day and looking at the other, the cosplays and the yes. art and the merchandise. Yes, I love seeing all the fan-produced stuff. It is so much fun to see all the stuff everybody creates. Mm-hmm. Um, though for me, I think personally for my favorite part was uh, me, Allison, and one of our other co-workers, Mary, we cosplay the cosplayed the Sanderson sisters one year, and we got so much response from just other people there wanting to take pictures and look at our stuff and ask us how we did things. It was just so much fun. Cosplay is definitely way way fun. <laughs> it, it's super fun to do and to wear and just to interact with people. It's it's a quick way for people to see you and be like, I'm into that too. I like that too. Mm-hmm. To have uh, you can start a conversation with somebody else by doing that same thing or by saying, Oh my gosh, that is awesome. How did you do that? Where did you find that? How did you make that? Mm-hmm. What would you say is one of your most memorable convention experiences? And you can only pick one. <laughs> pick one. <laughs> If I had to pick one, I think my most memorable one would be the first Wizard World I went to in Chicago. It was the first like big convention I've ever been to, and it was just an eye opener. It was just so amazing. I had so much fun. So yeah, it was a it was a good experience and just like the launching pad for 
my slight obsession. <laughs> I would say mine was also probably my first convention, the first time I attended NebraskaCon. They still held it at the student union there, and I'd never been on UNL's campus before, so I was a little bit lost trying to figure out where I was supposed to even be at. And I just remember turning a corner and finding myself in an entire room full of Naruto cosplayers. I think there was a photo shoot. And so I'm the only one wearing a t-shirt and jeans in this room full of very colorful ninja cosplayers. And I have never been so excited to be the weirdest dressed person in a room before. It's just like, I have found my people. Just my people. <laughs> so do you have any recommendations for our lo local listeners, not only just for conventions, but maybe uh, some more nerd-friendly spaces? Convention-wise, I would always recommend, especially if you're going to cosplay, take a repair kit with you that definitely has safety pins. It's it's a must-have. Absolutely. <laughs> so many safety pins. <laughs> and if you are going to a convention such as like uh, in Chicago or some big city, try and get a hotel as close <laughs> to the convention center as possible, preferably even like walking distance because parking is a huge challenge. Especially if you're going to Planicon in Kansas City because you are downtown in Kansas City and you are the parking at the actual convention is going to fill up fast. So you're going to have to find parking within the city around that is in within, within walking distance. Yeah, um, so you always want to wear comfortable shoes because then once you get to the convention, you're going to be walking forever. Mm -hmm. This is especially a thing if you're in a costume. Don't wear uncomfortable shoes. Yes, yes. The other thing, going by yourself is fun, but unfortunately in a lot of these situations for cosplays, um, you will end up with uncomfortable situations due to other people. So it's always a good idea to either go in a group or figure out, just pay attention to what's going on around you. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of great people you can meet, but there's always going to be the one or two people you kind of wish you hadn't. Mm -hmm. And what about uh, the fun nerd spaces here in the local area? Uh, fun nerd spaces include there is a coffee shop on Leavenworth called Legends Comics and Coffee. It is an amazing space. It is so much fun to go to. I highly recommend it. It's very quaint looking. It's It's got a lot of comics and stuff. It's Most people like all the coffee, too. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Snacks um, and comics. How much better yes, can you get? Yes, absolutely. Other places, local libraries usually have clubs that do stuff like this. Ocon that also comes up it, during the summer is usually a lot of fun. And it's not just geeky stuff that happens. I know in town there is a corgi club that will regularly go to, like, they'll book a room at these conventions and you could just show up and pet corgis and they're all over the place. Uh, one of my friends took her dog a couple years ago and the actor who played Death in Supernatural just fell in love with her dog and sat in there most of the day just cuddling her <laughs> corgi. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> so if you happen to live within the local area, you may know that the Bellevue University Library just recently hosted its very own fan convention. Unfortunately, due to the thing that shall not be named, we weren't able to host the full-fledged event. Still, this goes to show the impact that larger conventions have had on our culture. Even libraries are getting on the bandwagon and creating smaller conventions of their very own. So, how was the idea for the library mini-con developed? Well, Alice and I have been pushing for it for years. A while. <laughs> um, but what actually started the ball rolling was we were in a conference, uh, the, I think it's the Big Ideas Small Libraries? Something like that. Um, and they did a panel 
on doing a mini convention at their local library. And we thought it was a great idea. So I took it to Robin as a possible event and she decided to let us give it a try. So what went into making NanoCon a reality? Well, originally, like, we were starting out trying to do the mini-con, but then with all the stuff that was happening, we decided it wasn't feasible to do it at that time, but we didn't want to cancel entirely. So we were able to do a kind of hybrid-type system where we were doing it both online and in person so that uh, people who weren't either even like weren't part of the local area or didn't feel comfortable going out in crowds that could still attend our panels and stuff. And so we decided for this hybrid system that we would create uh, three panels and we used mostly library staff and university faculty to do these panels. And then we also had like fun little gift bag, prize bags people could come in and pick up and we basically chose topics that we are all obsessed with, so <laughs> cosplay and fan fiction and vampires and supernatural is fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did it go? Um, what are some changes that you intend to bring into next year's Brew and Con? Oh, I think it went really, really well. We ended mm -hmm. up having a good turnout. Um, some people who either were brand new employees that had never been to the library or new students or just different people who like have a thumb on what's going on in the geek community and toned in for us. Some of the changes that are going to be between NanoCon and BruinCon is that we are going to be entirely live this year. Um, we're going to have a lot more panels. We're going to have a lot, we're going to have local vendors in local artists. Um, we're going to have a cosplay contest. So yeah, it's going to be a little more like an actual Comic-Con event. It's amazing what you can do when you don't have to, you know, have everything be under lockdown. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll be able to show our geek side a little more. Give the audience some details on the upcoming BruinCon. Um, so our BruinCon is going to take place on August 27th of 2022 from 6 to 9 p.m. here in the library. Um, we're going to have... Like I said, we're going to have uh, any number of vendors. I think we're reaching out. We've got uh, Legends Comic and Coffee is coming. Um, I've got a few other people I'm reaching out to. Uh, we're going to have local artists coming in. I'm currently talking to a lady who works at both UNO and the Do Space about host having a booth for her art stuff as well as hosting a panel for us. Um, we're going to have food trucks and so yeah it should just be a pretty good time yeah costumes and merchandise and panels oh my <laughs> and please follow the cosplay guidelines yes <laughs> yes well that's all for today folks thank you jessica and allison for coming on our episode today this is your host sierra whitfield and i am signing off hello i'm robin bernstein and i'm the library director here at bellevue university and this is my first time doing a podcast. I'm actually just a guest podcaster. So this is my first attempt, so please be patient with me. I'm very proud of my staff and thankful for all they do. Unfortunately, we are going to be saying so long to one of our longtime employees. Um, Margie McCandless has decided to retire. So with that in mind, we decided it would be a good idea to have her here and play a little game of who, what, 
where, when, and why, <laughs> but not necessarily in that order. So I want to welcome Margie here today to be my first guest, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Oh. So Margie, <laughs> if you would go ahead and do a little introduction. Well, I'm Margie, and I don't know if Robin mentioned I've been here 17 years since August 2004 as a reference support specialist, and I have really enjoyed every minute, but it is time. So. Time for you. Time. Well, maybe not for us, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so now that we know you a little bit better, we're going to find out a lot more about you. Okay. So are you ready? Sure. My first question is, why did you decide to retire? Oh. <laughs> well, the short answer is I'm 73 and a half. And I you don't, don't look it. I don't know how that happened, and I never really think about it, but it hit me you know, a few weeks ago, I guess. I thought, you know, I've been here 17 years. Eight and a half of them, that's exactly half, have been after I hit the normal retirement age of 65. And I wouldn't still be here if I didn't enjoy it. I never think of it that way. But the years just fly by. And I just realized, you know, I just felt like it was time. And I haven't second-guessed that at all. You know, I thought about it for a little while, you know, a week or so. But I, you know, I was just, I knew this was the right time to do it. And, you know, all good things have to end, and I'll miss it. And I'm in many ways, sorry to leave, but I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to being home too. So, so with that in mind, who had the biggest influence and or impact on your life and on your decision to work in a library? <laughs> well, I racked my brain to see if there was any superhero librarian in my childhood. Um, I don't think there was, but uh, libraries are always part of my life. Um, we lived in the Benson area and they have that cute little charming stone library up there and I was close enough eight or nine blocks to walk and so I spent a lot of time there lugging books back and forth don't remember the librarians at all but I remember the library and then when I was a senior in high school my first job was at Swanson Library which was brand new it had just opened three weeks before complete opposite in looks it was you know ultra modern flat roofed uh floor-to-ceiling windows, but I loved it. I was in the children's department, and I uh, worked my way through college there. It paid for college at a dollar and eight to a dollar twenty minimum wage. It paid my whole way through college, and when I did start college, just a few months after I started working there, my degree was in secondary education, and I needed two teaching endorsements, and one of the one that, that was offered was library science, and I thought, well, that sounds pretty perfect, so uh, that's what I did, and um, that was kind of back in the dinosaur days of libraries when the card catalog and the, oh, those big green indexes to periodical literature were our Google, but, you know, I learned a catalog. I learned a lot of uh, library background things, that, uh, and, and I was working in a library, so it all, it all just uh, went together, and um, between then and now, that's kind of the path that got me here. Between then and starting here, I mean, there were still a lot of libraries. I was a school librarian here and there for a while and uh, always volunteered in my kids' school libraries. And eventually, that road led to Bellevue. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> so, in all of the time you've spent in libraries, what accomplishment are you most proud of? Can you tell us what it is? In this library? Or any no, library. <laughs> oh, I mean, the other libraries were such a long time ago that, um, uh, you know, here, 
I, you know, I'm proud of a lot of the research projects and a lot of the LibGuides and, and uh, gingerbread houses. <laughs> uh, but the big thing I think that I'll just always be kind of associated with is Build It, which is Bellevue University Information Literacy Development Interactive tutorial, which That's is why helpful. we just call it Build It. <laughs> and that actually uh, was launched 15 years ago in September. And I'm just happy to say it's still going strong and, and that I've maintained it all that time and, and kept it up to date. Didn't know about the statistics part when I started, but done that too. And so that's that's probably my big claim to fame here. So where did you get the inspiration for Build It? I remember the building block um, theme and you had those blocks and yeah. to launch it. So Well, I don't know if inspiration is the right word or it's more like asked um, at a... Um, staff meeting in January, a few months after I'd started, you asked if uh, I asked. you asked if someone would like to look into information literacy tutorials, just see what's out there and see if there's something we could use. And I clearly remember you said, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, just see what's out there. And so um, uh, Casey Krolik, who was our technical services librarian at the time, she had literally started like two days before, she said, I'd like to help with that too. So we, we did look at some, and the big one that was out there is Tilt, so that's kind of where Built eventually came from, Build It, um, with Texas Information Literacy Tutorial. And it was kind of a generic one because it was meant to be shared. It had all the information you needed, but the ones that caught my eye were the ones that were in-house, that were customized to the uh, library they served, to the students they served. And I, just in the short time I'd been here, I knew that you can't uh, be specific enough when you're telling students how to find things, how to do things, where things are. So I was drawn to that. And at first, we thought we could just kind of modify Tilt but then it was obvious it was going to be a whole lot more than that. So we set out to reinvent the wheel, basically. And we couldn't just jump right in, obviously. I wasn't an expert in uh, information literacy. I barely knew much about it at all. I had to Google it and, and you know, just read up on it. I just had a vague idea in my head. And so uh, first I, you know, I did a lot of research. I um, tried, I made a big, huge, long outline and see how things kind of fell into some kind of organized way. And it ended up being five modules that we still have today. The outline is, if I could see it now, is probably very, very similar, you know, tweaked as you go along, but it was very similar to how we started out. We got to thinking we could call it built like tilt. But I thought, well, that sounds like something that's done. This is a process. So came up with build it building information literacy skills and of course that made me think about blocks so I went out and I bought a bag of blocks only money we ever spent on <laughs> on build it and they're still in my office all built into the structure and I played around with them till I was able to come up with something that was made up of five units or modules of four blocks each because each module has four concepts and the bottom one was the foundation and each one is self-contained, but together as you go through, build it, and build your skills, it, the whole thing represents information literacy or becoming information, being information literate. Then I photographed it in every possible combination, individual blocks, everything, every possible combination. And then, you know, I had to start doing something. And um, really, it was just against all odds this has even happened. If I would have known how little I knew at the time. I don't think I would have tried it because 
I had no idea how things got from your head to a web page or I didn't even know what HTML was, but I thought, well, Casey knows, I'm sure. So I'll just, um, you know, I'll make some Word documents and she'll somehow turn it into a web page. But Casey was busy and <laughs> she had a lot of things going, but she introduced me to a front page, a Microsoft product that's defunct now. You know, she gave me some pointers and I still just sat and looked at it and thought, I remember thinking, what do I do? Is it like PowerPoint? You know, but I got the hang of it eventually. It took me months and months, a lot of research along the way before each part of it. it took a long time. We worked a little bit with um, Mary Kay, who at the time we didn't have a systems librarian, so she was the person who did stuff for our web page when we needed something done. So she she wrote the JavaScript for the interactive quizzes, which I really appreciated. There was no way we could have done that, and that's a big part of it. So finally, by September 2006, we were ready to launch it, and I thought I was done. I thought, phew, I did it. I'm done. And literally the next day, or for sure that week, an interface on one of the databases that I had featured with screenshots and directions changed completely. And I thought, oh no. So I had to redo that, and this was just the beginning. Uh, it's just been constant, you know, our web page has changed, our resources have changed, our different interfaces have changed, services have changed, links have changed. So it's been a continuous, never done process. But um, I wanted to keep it up to date. That was a big goal of mine because I hate it when I have instructions for something and they don't look like what I'm looking at, what I'm trying to fix or do. So I wanted them to look at it and see in build it what they would see then on their computer. So that was, you know, motivation for keeping it current. So I, but I, you know, I, I got a routine and uh, went along smoothly until um, by then we had a systems librarian, Becky, and she started telling me we need to do something about build it. And I'm like, what, why, it's perfect. And it turns out that front page was no longer supported it was no longer um, up to date. It used, it was based on HTML4 and 5 was the current version. And we needed to do something else with it. And I put it off as long as I could. And then somehow I decided that teaching myself HTML and writing the code myself would be the best way to do it. And I, uh, again, I don't know what I was thinking, but um, I got a book that my, I fortunately have children who know how to do things like this and, you know, uh, write code. So one of them recommended a book that was actually fun to use. And um, I closed myself in my office whenever I had office time. And for months, I just studied it till I felt confident enough to start. So I wouldn't make a big blunder at the beginning that I had to redo. And it took me again a long time. But I really enjoyed it because it's like a puzzle. You know, it was just like a puzzle, trying to make things go where they belonged. And sometimes they wouldn't. I'm like, oh, no, what happened? And I'd go over it again till I got it. And so I, I uh, learned about style sheets and, and all those things. And I worked really hard to make it look nice and clean on the backside. And I um, was very proud of it. And I thought that was it. And then... Um, I don't remember exactly when I finished that, but it was maybe shortly before Joel started because I remember showing it to him when you, you know, came around the office to get to know me and get to know all the staff. Shortly after that, Joel started saying we need to do something about Build It. I'm like, what? So it's What's safe to wrong? say Build It was not built in a day. It was not. 
And so it turns out this was nothing wrong with the code or anything, but it, I'm probably going to get this all wrong, and I'll, I'll, I'll see if Joel cringes as I try to explain. But it had been on a server that was not stable, that was not meant to house things permanently, but it was more of a test server, but it had been there since the beginning. And I thought, okay, well, why can't we just you know, link to it, put it on our, put it on the, and well, we can have more server space, he said, and it has to be like integrated into our website somehow. And so eventually we used uh, LibWizard, uh, which is a SpringShare product, and we use a, a lot of other of their products, and I think we were probably using LibWizard already for some, you know, short uh, tutorials, quizzes, things like that hated LibWizard. I absolutely struggled with it the whole time. And now that I knew about the the HTML, I would look at it and think, oh my God, what a mess it is. But um, eventually I got it done. I had to change the format. It was very strict. I mean, I know nothing about principles of web design. So if I needed a long page, I had a long page. If I needed a short page, I had a short page. If I wanted two columns, I had two columns. But this was very... Uh, a little column here, a narrow column here, a main column here, and um, it was, I just struggled all the way through it, but I finally got it done. I can't even remember when that was exactly, a couple years ago maybe, and now I'm hearing things about Niche Academy, <laughs> so and that's I what tell made you, you that was it. <laughs> I tell you, if I hadn't already decided to leave, that would be the thing that pushed me over the edge. But I hope it will go on in some form or another. You I'm know. sure it will. Yeah, for a long time. And it's it's been very successful, and many instructors require it of yep. their um, students. And somewhere along the way, we were able to make the uh, quizzes uh, well, they used to be delivered automatically to the instructors. Now they need a little help, but uh, and they are delivered automatically to the students who take them. And so I, I'm very proud of it because it's been very successful, and we've gotten a lot of praise and good comments from students who say things like, I wish I had known about this from the beginning, and I feel so much more comfortable now using the library. So that was been the motivation to keep going, not let it go. And I appreciated you taking a concept I had and <laughs> making it come to life because that's what you did. I had no idea what I <laughs> raised my hand for that day. <laughs> so when you do think back on your time at Bellevue University in the library specifically, what fond memories come to mind? Oh, yeah, it is. There's so many. It's not one big thing. I can't think of one big thing, but it's all the little things that make us a team and make it fun to work here. You know, our big holiday party for the campus, our other open house in the spring, um, but our, our potlucks, our birthday celebrations, our dressing up as bumblebees that one of the first years I was here for the Halloween costume contest and um, as book characters another year, just all the little things like that, just all the people I've met over the years that have been fun to work with, and um, really it's just, just a combination of all kinds of little things like that that make one big, good experience. So what legacy would you like to leave here at Bellevue University <laughs> as you leave on <laughs> December 8th? Yes. Um, which is the day of a holiday party that you enjoy so much. Yes, yes, I couldn't miss that. You know, well, legacy seems like such a lofty uh, 
term, just way too big of a word, you know. I mean, I didn't set the world on fire or anything like that. I just uh, tried to come to work every day and do my job and do a good job of doing my job. And the fun thing about this job is that you learn something new every day. And I learned things, you know, I never thought I would learn to do or be doing and proved, I guess, that you're never too old to learn something new. I I guess what people remember me, what I like them to remember me for, as being just a nice person, you know, just someone they enjoyed working with, enjoyed knowing. Uh, I tried to always be pleasant and smile when I came in. And when I say try, it sounds like it was an effort, but it wasn't an effort because I enjoy being here. And if you ask me what bad memories do you have, I really... I can't think of any. I'm sure there were aggravations along the way. Of course there are, you know, but the big picture is um, that I really enjoyed being here and felt happy to be here. So I, I really appreciate, you know, the opportunity. I really didn't know how unqualified I was <laughs> when you hired me, when uh, Chris hired me, uh, and um, i just grateful I had the opportunity. Well, I will never look at another gingerbread house without thinking <laughs> of you, Margie. So I know that legacy will live on. And all those people that were, you know, who received a gingerbread house through the drawings that you graciously made gingerbreads for, <laughs> the gingerbread houses, three every year. I don't know Ten how years. you found the time you did the time to do that. Um, but you did. And we really appreciate that. <laughs> So now I just want to thank you for taking the time to indulge me in my first endeavor <laughs> as a podcaster and for graciously agreeing to it as well. I know it's kind of out of your comfort zone, but well, you did a great job. Right up to the end, <laughs> I learned something new, I guess. So, no, I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. Just a conversation. And I cannot express enough my gratitude for all that you've done and how much you've meant to us and the oh. university and specifically the library. You are one of the most pleasant, likable, and respected and valued people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. So for that, I want to thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and tell you, you'll be missed. So don't be a stranger no, and no. come back I whenever. You'll always have a home here. I will. I, I, I certainly plan to. That was all for today, folks. This was episode 47 of the More Than Books podcast. I'm your host, Sierra Whitfield, and I'm signing off.